0: Okay, big guy. You thought you had me right where you wanted me. I know you did. And then 13 and 1. 13 and 1. JB, what did you go last week? I think the first time all season I
1: went 500. I was only 7 and 7. Here I was for all these weeks, clipping around 70% winning percentage. I had a huge lead. Any given Saturday, Frank, um, all the games I thought were going to go one way obviously went the other. Um, wow, uh, quite a comeback. I still got a two-game lead with, uh, what, three weeks left? Although unless we keep going into the playoffs, we'll, we'll have to see. I don't even know when we you know, kind of call these things. But, hey, got to tip the cap. Well done, sir. A very impressive outing. Nice Salve Regina hat, by the way. Yeah, thanks to Coach Gil Martin and to you for uh, making sure I grabbed it uh, this peak this past weekend. I'm also wearing some new RPI gear. Hey, I, when I saw Coach Acernia on Saturday morning, I was like, "Hey, give us something good to talk about early next week." And and he and the engineers did. They had a great Senior Day win. I felt um, really happy for the parents, especially. We still heard about some weird stuff a parent wasn't allowed into the stadium a senior parent who had checked off all the other boxes except for not having a a test in time even though they were vaccinated had a mask was outside the the ridiculousness just seems to never end up there but at least i was happy for the players that they got to go out with a win on their last regular season home game so uh, don't feel bad
0: about, you know, being wrong on a few games because Coach Isernia brought me back down to earth on Saturday morning when I, I walked up. And he reminded me that on the Gaz podcast from last week, I had suggested that RPI did not make a playoff run in the recent past. Coach Isernia states to me, Frank, in fact, RPI was in the Elite Eight in 2018 And it was versus Johns Hopkins. And even better, Frank, you were there. (laughs) Boy, it seems like so long ago at this point, I guess. Um, Sorry, coach. And uh, I guess I should be like wearing this or something at this point, right? Is that what I'm supposed to do in moments like these? I'd be like, go red. Uh, Yes, RPI, 2018. I got it. Uh, We'll see who's going in 2021 because it's still a wide open question between this team, this team, and Ithaca. So we'll see where it goes. We'll talk about that and more here on season 14 of In the Huddle. Okay, JB, I guess I should take this off now. I can't look like a Homer forever here. Uh, We are going to have uh, multiple shows this week, so let's go through what's going to happen this week on uh, in the huddle. Uh, Today, uh, this is our crunch time show. We're going to go through crunch time, not much else, because we're also going to have a Wednesday show live. Once regional rankings are released, which are going to be alphabetical, not with numericals uh, next to them, Uh, We're also going to go through our entire 27 conference review of playoff scenarios and uh, to to the degree we can figure them out, tiebreaker assessments as well. So that will be on the Wednesday show. On Friday we'll have our normal preview show and on Saturday, I am not traveling and you are not traveling. This is the first time we can say that this season. In fact, yeah, exactly. (sighs) we are going to be doing our studio show that you've grown to know and love here called the D3 Blitzer for the third year. That's right. And that is a whip around show in which we will give you video for, uh, from all the big games, important games, because we believe that week 10 can be more important to watch a variety of games in week 11 because there's just more in play with more possibilities for actual clinching going on in week 10 than week 11 usually. In week 11 we know what what's what basically. So week ten is where all the questions either get answered or get settled for what we have to watch for in week eleven. So that's what we what we'll be doing for games across the country starting at noontime and going till about four, four thirty. We'll see uh, at, you know, when things calm down on the scoreboard nationally. The thirty thousand foot view, I'm curious to hear what you have to say after being thirty thousand feet in the air to and from the Albany area go for it
1: yeah well I think um the number one lesson from this past weekend's event is that nothing really beats being there in person um you can't really get a true experience of a football game from you know a a camera video feed or or a audio broadcast or something just being there with the players, with the coaches, with the families, the fans, it's that game day experience, particularly when it's a really big game between rivals and there's a big crowd and everyone's into it. It's just, it's something that you, you can't really put into words. You have to be there to truly experience and appreciate it. And I think for me, Frank, the best part about this last weekend, um, other than the fact that we got to see a really exciting game, um, was sort of that reminder that, I need to get out there and do this a little more often um, because that game day experience that live seeing um you know people that i've gotten to know virtually uh, i mean this entire you know class of seniors whether they're fifth years or um you know fourth year seniors that may end up you know graduating after this i've been you know talking to them and their families for the last you know four-year arc this was a nice way to kind of bring that all together full circle in an exciting, it was, it was a great football game, you know, could, uh, could, you know, a few penalties got, you know, not called or this and that, or, you know, maybe I would have liked the result to be slightly different, you know. Um, But at the end of the day, it was one of those things. It was like, I will never forget, um, you know, that game and that weekend because of all the personal connections I have with you know, obviously, you and thank you for being such a gracious host and putting up with me for a couple nights, um, and uh, and then also to all the kind of the extended Union and Hobart, you know, people and families that were there. It was great to see some old faces. It was funny, like being asked into the booth to talk to to do some play by play or color commentary rather with uh, Andrew Santillo. It was funny because I feel like I've known that guy for ten years, but you know, I never actually met him in person until. Saturday. And it's, you know, we, we kind of get used to this virtual world of talking through screens, but that, you know, interpersonal, you know, in person uh, contact and, and time is really special. So I know for myself, um, it won't be another three or so years until you see me on the sideline again.
0: That's all we have time for, folks. Uh, so long. Just kidding. <laughs> no, that was great, yeah, JB and True. And uh, there are rumors that your liver may have been tested at times uh, due to some of the connections and friendships, etc. cetera, uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, I will not verify nor deny that idea. I will just say a fun time was had by all and safely at that. And uh, you ate a lot too, uh, thanks to uh, my mother, Rosemary Rossi, and her 84th birthday party. Her birthday is actually this yep. today, Tuesday, on drop okay. date of this show. So happy birthday, mom! Happy birthday, Mama Rossi! Old. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? What you think of the Rossi clan? Actually, getting to experience the full-on Rossi view.
1: Oh man! Uh, <laughs> you know that's it, it was an experience, you know. We had the, you know, we had the priest, we had the siblings, we had the significant others, we had, you know, uh, Mister Rossi uh, Senior, kind of holding court there, um, all decked Always. out, and and, uh, and the amount of food in this this family style Italian restaurant was unbelievable. I think I'm still digesting it a few days later. It was bigger than any thanksgiving meal i've ever had it was incredible and you know the the hey you know james you want to try the calamat? do you want to do the the, you know this whole thing it was like there's a little bit of that you know very traditional italian american vibe and feel to it um and i just it was a lot of fun thanks
0: to scotty's restaurant on friday night uh for putting up with us and augie's restaurant on saturday which was the birthday dinner he's just alluding to for putting up with us there and uh, thanks to uh, you folks for putting up with that whole conversation because we know you're waiting for crunch time for week nine of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. Hand gestures for the counting are always uh, amazing to me. So let's just go to region one here. Merchant Marine at Springfield trying to keep that undefeated dream alive. Well, let's fast forward to the third quarter as Merchant Marine would get the lead on an Ian Blankenship 71-yard touchdown run about 47 seconds into the second half, 17-14 Merchant Marine Academy. But two minutes later, David Wells gets a 16-yard touchdown run for Springfield to give Springfield back the lead, 21-17. A minute 20 later, Tim Callahan adds a 3-yard touchdown run after Springfield gets the ball back on a turnover. 28-17 Springfield, but it's not over yet. As Merchant Marine, with 6.30 left, third quarter, gets a 1-yard Alec Kiernan touchdown run. 28-23 Springfield. Let's fast forward to the final play of the game as Merchant Marine had chances in this thing. 4th and 9 from the Springfield 40 as the time was running out. Ian Blankenship intercepted by Kyle Neer at the Springfield 12, and that was it. Springfield wins 28-23 and stays alive in the New Mac. Tim Callahan, 30 rushes, 137 yards, and a touchdown. Blankenship with 313 total yards, a rushing touchdown, and an interception. Then let's look at Mass Dartmouth at Bridgewater State. In the second quarter, Mass Dartmouth, Gets the lead as Keenan Little gets a two-yard pass from Dante Avila-Santo. It's 14-12. Mass Dartmouth, after a two-point conversion fails earlier, an extra point had failed for them. Late in the second quarter, though, Bridgewater State's Adam Couch gets a 25-yard touchdown run to make it Bridgewater State 20-14. In the third quarter, Mass Dartmouth responds as Marvin's Jean gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Avila-Santo to make it 20-20, a tie game, as the conversion rush fails there. And in the fourth quarter, Matt's Dartmouth, they couldn't get the lead on the conversion, but they do on the touchdown, as Douglas Machado gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Ravila Santos to make it 26-20. And here's the final play, really, uh, for Bridgewater State. James Cahoon was intercepted by Trell Best, and that would do it as Dartmouth wins the game, 26-20, Dante Avila Santos, 297 total yards, four passing touchdowns. Adam Couch, 22 rushes, 151 yards, and three touchdowns for Bridgewater. You want to talk about things going all over the place, uh, up and down, back and forth. Well, the NESCAC has that issue too, as Williams walks away as the only undefeated team, as Amherst in four overtimes wins things against Wesleyan. It's 16-14 final. We're showing you the final play here. And we'll tell you that Brad Breckenridge from Amherst, 13 for 26, 170 yards, touchdown and two interceptions, the game-winning two-point pass play, as you saw, wide receiver Carson Oceanher, I believe is the uh, correct pronunciation, in that fourth overtime. We continue in Region 1. There was just so much action in this region. We have to keep going here as Anna Maria takes on Castleton State in a big ECFC matchup. In the third quarter... This is a big run by Devin Wolner. And as the Spartans have a great yardage here to the 20 to the 15, that's Wolner, and he's going to take
1: it in for the
0: score. That would make it 24 10, Castleton leading. But Anna Maria would not be denied here at least a chance. Justin McMillan with a 56 yard touchdown pass from Alex Cohen makes it 24 17, Castleton. And in the fourth quarter, Castleton responds with Wolner again. The four-yard touchdown run, it's 31-17, Castleton. 2.47 left, Anna Maria's David Robinson gets a 19-yard pass from Alex Cohen. 31-24, Castleton, but the onside kick. And that is going to be a yes. recovery for Anna Maria. Oh, my Yes, they did get it back. Anna Maria has a chance here, and they do tie. With a minute 39 left, DeAndre Walls from 12 yards out from Alex Cohen, 31-31. 35 seconds later, though, Castleton does this. The 21-yard line of the Amcats. McCarthy throws toward the end zone. (laughs) It is caught for the touchdown. Holden Martinez. The Spartans retake the lead with 104 to go in the fourth quarter. And... 38-31, Castleton leads. Let's go to third and ten as Anna Maria does have a chance here as an intentional grounding call costs them 11 yards and another penalty on top of it makes it fourth and 26. And then Alex Cohen intercepted by Ian DeTullio to make it a Castleton win by the score of 38-31. Two sacks, Four tackles for loss by the Castleton defense, four interceptions most importantly, and they held Anna Morant to just 29 rushing yards. Jacob McCarthy for Castleton, 19 for 35, 265 yards, and a passing touchdown. Going to keep going here for a second to tell you that University of New England had a great game against Endicott, but we'll start with an important play in the grand scheme of things which was this safety because of a bad punt snap that gave Endicott a 2-0 lead three minutes into the game. Now we'll fast forward to the fourth quarter with 5.48 left. Jarrett Henault gets a one-yard touchdown run to give New England, University of New England that is, a 17-16 lead. Five minutes later.
1: Smith's kick is up and Smith's kick is good. Big time. Kick from Ryan Smith. And the Culls retake the lead 19 to 17.
0: And Nick DiCarano asked me if I saw his boy Ryan Smith kick that field goal. <laughs> yes, I did, Nick. 1917. Uh we'll also though look at Jarrett Hanault with one last chance here, but the defense of Endicott sacks him for a 16-yard loss, and that would do it. The final score, 19-17. Endicott. Jarrett Hanault with 170 total yards. Two rushing touchdowns and the UNE defense with three fumble recoveries. But let's look at the offense here for Endicott as Mike and Graffi gets a 20 for 35 day, 249 yards and a touchdown, and Ryan Smith with that game-winning field goal. No video here, but we'll tell you that Lycoming beats Wilkes in an important game in the MAC, 30 to 27. Nate Whitaker for Wilkes had seven catches, 226 yards and three touchdowns. But the Lyco wow. defense of three sacks and 11 tackles for loss, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, and two interceptions. So that defense kept things in check. And place kicker Ian Plankenhorn was 3-for-3 three three on field goals and 4-and-4 four four on P- PATs in that three-point victory. JB, talk about any of those or any of the other games in Region 1.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, complete and utter chaos uh, in, in Region 1. Now we have four teams in the ECFC who are 3-1 and one when last week we were talking about how basically Anna Maria was in the catbird seat. Not so fast. Uh, the Spartans making a run now. And a couple of games down the stretch, will decide who will be the ECFC champion. Um, Bridgewater State dropping a, a, a game when we thought that they were on a a clear-cut course to playing Framingham for the MASCAC title. Hold on a second. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the the MASCAC um, championship scenarios tomorrow, but kind of another surprising upset by the Corsairs. And then Lyco beating Wilkes in a way for me, Frank, sort of not necessarily hands DelVal the, the Mac title, but it's going to make um, any kind of tiebreaker or comeback by another team very difficult as uh lyco being 501 in, in the mac is good for them but they've already lost to Val. so i think Val just needs to win one more game on its way to punching its ticket to yet another playoff run elsewhere in region one something that stood out to me frank Westcon. There apparently they have a running back named Mac Driver who had seven rush TDs and a fifty-six to thirty win over Worcester State. Uh, Framingham wins the Kelly Cup twenty-three to fourteen in the battle of father and son. There, um, the Rams still uh, looking good for another CAC Championship. And as you alluded to earlier, Frank Williams forty-two Trinity three. Not anything that we saw coming, uh, just a total beat down by Coach Ray's Eves on the Bantams, and they are now the final undefeated team in the NESCAC. Let's jump into Region 2. And
0: there's a lot to re- uh, jump into here in Region 2. We'll start with Union hosting Hobart, the game we attended, and we'll start with the start of the game, which is a Ra'Shawn Boswell, large re- uh, kickoff return of 80 yards. That took the ball to the Union 15-yard line, but four plays later, Rob Gregorio's field goal was blocked by Jamar Edwards, and that stopped any scoring by Hobart. So we're going to fast forward now to 14-14 left in the second quarter. Ike Erebor with the spin move and more to get the touchdown from 15 yards out for a 7-0 union lead. Andrew Lau would get a 26-yard field goal later in the second quarter, but Hobart would respond. 18 seconds left in the half for Sean Boswell four-yard touchdown run made the halftime score 10-7 Union's lead. Eventually, Union would be tied by Hobart after a Rob Gregorio 43-yard field goal midway through the third, but Lau would respond with his own 34-yard field goal. In the fourth, 3 left, Hobart's David Cruson with a 10-yard touchdown run makes it 17-13 Hobart. About two minutes later, Andre Ross Jr., though, extends a short pass to a 66-yard touchdown for a 20-17 Union lead. Back and forth the ball went. Union had an interception, but later on, Hobart did get a drive together. Rob DiGregorio, six seconds left, was called on for a 24-yard field goal that was good to make it 20-20. We're going to overtime. I.K. Erebor was heard from again as Union had made good ground and picked up a DPI foul against Hobart. I.K. Erebor's two-yard touchdown run made it 27-20 in the first half of overtime one. On the other side, David Krusen on fourth and three gets two yards. The measurement is here. The celebration is here. Union wins the game by mere inches by a final score of 27-20 in overtime. Erebor, two rushing touchdowns, a workhorse stay over 100 yards for him. Crewson, 287 total yards, a rushing touchdown interception. Uh, Linebacker Brian Aguilar with 17 tackles. Andre Ross Jr. for Union, seven receptions, 175 yards, and one touchdown. Let's stay in the Liberty League. We're going to go to the RPI game hosting Ithaca. And in that game, A.J. Wingfield was intercepted on Ithaca's first drive by Connor Noyce. At uh, midfield, essentially, making things pretty good for RPI. Six plays later,
1: Four, high snap. Marinopoulos wants to throw. He's got a target. McDonald's open touchdown. Line open at the goal line. RPI goes up six nothing.
0: Vinny McDonald, with that touchdown grab from Marinopoulos, makes it seven to zero. Thanks, Kurt, Stott, for the audio on that one. Then, though. Things look grim for RPI in the second quarter. As you see here, George Marinopoulos, uh, what looks like a no-contact injury to a knee that already had a brace on it. He did not return in this game, and ultimately RPI had to kind of hold their collective breaths here as to what would happen next. The halftime score remains 7-0, though, in their favor. Nick Monday would get Ithaca on the scoreboard midway through the third quarter with a 40-yard field goal, but then Riley Conboy gets a 31 yard touchdown pass from Matt Peterkuski, the backup quarterback for RPI, with 9.16 left. It's 14 3 RPI. Then Ithaca tries to respond. 4.16 left. Dante Garcia gets a pass from AJ Wingfield for an 11 yard touchdown. 14 11 RPI as the two point conversion was good. After four timeouts, the end of the game situation. Baha Monday from 35 yards. Snap.
1: The spot's down. The kick is up, and the kick is no good. Missed it to the left. Plenty of distance
0: on it. He just hooked it. And as Kurt said, no good on that field goal. RPI holds on to win 14-11, causing some chaos in those standings. Wingfield 20 for 31, 184 yards in a passing touchdown, but one interception that you saw. Marinopoulos was 4 for 5 for 46 yards that touchdown until that injury. Something to be concerned about, JB. Before we go on here, the Liberty League has a little bit of clarity and a little bit of murkiness all built in right now.
1: Yeah, and we almost had complete and utter chaos if for some reason that Hobart was able to win that game in Schenectady and have a bunch of one-loss teams across the board. But ultimately, you know, if, if Union's going to repeat like they did in 2019, they're going to have to beat Ithaca and RPI like they did uh, the last time around. So um, credit to RPI, they're they're fighting in there. That injury to Marianopolis is a concern. Um, they have a big game against St. Lawrence that they have to win to stay alive in the in the hunt here. One little um, uh, kudos I have to throw out though, Frank. Uh, AJ Wingfield uh, did complete a pass to Andrew Vito, which apparently set the all-time Ithaca receptions or receiving a record. Which, when you think about the history of talented student athletes who have played for the Bombers, that's a that's quite an accomplishment for uh, for Andrew. So congratulations, But No, you probably would have rather had the win than the record, but. Bombers have another chance when they uh, when they host the Dutchman on Saturday. Let's stay in New York as Alfred visited Cortland,
0: and Cortland could clinch with a win, and let's just look at a couple plays here because that's all you really need for the storyline. Halfway through the first quarter, J.J. Lapp gets a 20-yard touchdown pass from Breeze Segala to make it 12-0 Cortland early on. And then in the second quarter, let's look at this special team's play by Cortland as it was D.J. Trent getting the ball in the end zone after the punt block. It's 19-0, Cortland there. The Red Dragons clinch and are the first team, I think the only team to clinch uh, into the playoffs in this year. Yep. One and only so far. 47-3. 47-3 final. Breeze Segala, 279 total yards, two passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. Running back Jaden Alfano St. John. Love the name. I can never get it right. 17 rushes, 87 yards, and two rushing touchdowns for the clinching Cortland Red Dragons. Let's go to the pack where there was a lack of clarity there coming in for this weekend and still probably a little bit and it was Washington Jefferson leading Grove City 14-7 after the first quarter but early in the second they'd extend the lead on a 19-yard Justin Huss touchdown run to make it 21-7 W&J, 45 seconds into the second quarter. About five minutes later, Grove City would respond with Josh East's 14-yard touchdown run to make it 21-14 W&J, but Watch this kickoff return by the aforementioned Justin Huss. That 90 yard kickoff return for touchdown makes it 28 14 with 8.40 left second quarter. Grove City would add a 32 yard Nick Morrow field goal midway through the third quarter. Then in the fourth, Grove City would do this.
1: 12 carries 123 yards. They give the ball to Tusky. Tusky breaks free and he will from yards out.
0: And that Zach Trusky 23 yard touchdown run made it 28-24, still in favor of WJ. Grove City would get two chances. First, East threw an interception midway in the fourth quarter, but then in the last possession, the WJ defense clamped down hard. Here's second and 10. East getting sacked for a 14-yard loss back to the three-yard line. And then on third and 24, instead of spiking the ball and just trying to regain his composure. He actually made the throw downfield and he's intercepted by Drew Ehrlich and that would end the game with nine seconds left essentially. 28-24 Washington and Jefferson holds on. Grove City falls to two losses in the conference. w stays at one. Huss with that 90 yard kickoff return among other things uh, including that rushing touchdown you saw. East from Grove City 19 for 37, 202 yards, a passing touchdown but four interceptions. Ehrlich two interceptions for W and J Susquehanna at Johns Hopkins Hopkins would get a 22 yard touchdown run from Danny Wolf and we, we just kind of fast forward to this point with 945 left in the second quarter that was 24 to 0 Johns Hopkins my goodness this thing's over well no uh Susquehanna's Michael Roosh who we had on the show a couple weeks ago it's a 12 yard touchdown run of his own to make it now 24 17 two minutes into the uh, third quarter hopkins pushes back once more though as quinn revere gets a five-yard touchdown pass from ryan stevens with a minute left in the third quarter 38 17 there and that would be the final score as hopkins holds off susquehanna to hand them their first loss in in eternity it feels like danny wolf yeah. with 26 rushes 140 yards four rushing touchdowns roosh for susquehanna had an 18 for 30 day 158 one passing touchdown but three interceptions finally in region two rowan at montclair and this was an important senior day game for montclair jamie hamilton starts things off with a 30-yard touchdown pass from jaquiel birch with 826 left in the first half it was seven to zero montclair Six minutes left, third quarter, Riley Nelson gets a 22-yard touchdown pass from Birch, making it 14-0 Montclair. Fourth quarter, let's look at Juwan Hayes getting a five-yard touchdown pass from Mike Husney for Rowan to get them on the scoreboard, 17-7 Montclair leading. But then the defense clamps down again by Montclair. Third and 22 for Rowan, Husney intercepted here by Mike Ramos with 2.26 left on the clock, and then the final play of the game, Husney intercepted by Zaheer Wilder. The senior goes out in style on his home field, and that would do, the, do it. At Montclair, 20-7. Birch, 16 for 21 for the senior. 180 yards, two passing touchdowns. Dimitri Poly with seven tackles, three sacks, and a tackle for loss. That's region two. My throat is giving in. It's your turn to talk about the rest of the region. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, well, once again, congrats to Jaquill and and the Red Hawks. I know it's been a tough season for them, but it looks like you know he, he had one of his best games uh, in his final home game. So, uh, congrats to them beating a you know kind of a cross town, cross state rival in, in Rowan. Westminster took care of Bethany. Uh, Cole Koneczka, the quarterback, had five touchdowns, uh, four passing, one rushing. Carnegie Mellon um, takes care of St. Vincent, and the pack is just about as convoluted as the Liberty League. And honestly, Frank, it's interesting when I was sort of looking at the the broader picture for the playoffs and something about a little tomorrow. The fact that Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll have yet to play each other and won't until week 11 kind of leads leaves the president's fate up in the air. If for some reason they don't clinch the pool a through a tiebreaker scenario, we'll go over more of that tomorrow. But elsewhere, as you can see, um, kind of somewhat what you expected Moravian wins in overtime. Otherwise, uh, you know, pretty, pretty strong day in, in region two Salisbury 84 points. Looks like that offense is back.
0: Let's go to Region 3 now, and no video for this one, as Harden-Simmons visited Howard Payne and gets a 38-14 win against Howard Payne. Wide receiver Cade Bell with six receptions, 49 yards. Uh, it's 90-yard kickoff return touchdown to open the second half. And the uh, Harden-Simmons defense, three sacks, eight tackles for loss, and five interceptions. It's a good way to win a game, that's for sure. Back to video now, let's go to the Birmingham Southern at Barry game. Barry would get a Matt in 28-yard field goal 20 minutes into the game. So we were scoreless for a while here. Finally, with a minute 47 left second quarter, uh, Chris Shuford. Uh, they keep putting him as Robert in the box scores, but it's a 57-yard touchdown run for Shuford. And Birmingham Southern takes a 7-3 lead into halftime. In the third quarter, 2:29 left, Brandon Rue gets this 28-yard interception return, pick six for a 14-3 uh, Birmingham Southern lead. Fourth quarter, there goes that Schuford guy again. 6.28 left with a 10-yard touchdown run. That would make it 21-3, which would be the final score. Shuford, 27 rushes, 213 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Jake Seeger from Barry, 10 tackles, three sacks, and two tackles for loss. Let's go to Brevard at Methodist. This was a very back-and-forth game. Brevard trailed 14-7 late into the first half. But then with 333 left in the second half, Mitchell Yoder gets this 97-yard touchdown run for Brevard. I'm going to talk for a little while here because it's going to take a while to run on your screen and maybe he's finally reached the end zone. I don't know, but it was 14-14 at that point. But just two plays later, Methodist Xavier McNeil gets this 68-yard touchdown pass from Bullens to make it 21-14 Methodist. At halftime, it was 21-17, but Brevard would get within a point 13 minutes into the second half, midway through the fourth quarter, with Methodists leading by four points again. Brevard's Mitchell Yoder with a 60-yard touchdown run, 27-24 Brevard. The Methodists would drive with just 49 seconds left. Taekwon Edie gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 31-27, Methodists. Eli Carr is back in the lineup, folks, for Brevard. Here he is completing a pass for 19 yards as the time was running down to the Methodist 11-yard line, spikes the ball. uh, They had to do this twice because of some confusion, but they did put one second on the clock. Now here's the last chance. A pass attempt to Marcus Lane is incomplete. He had a chance at it, but it was knocked away by Methodist, and that would do it. Methodist wins 31-27 over Brevard. The teams combined combined for just 35 yards short of 1,000 yards. Yoder, 14 rushes, 220 yards. We saw 157 of them in those two plays alone in those two rushing touchdowns. And Brandon Bowles for Methodist, 30 for 43, 373 yards, two passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. Region 3, a little less in terms of video focus, but still some exciting action.
1: Yeah, and it's, things are leading up to, as we've said, the big uh, Birmingham-Southern-Trinity game uh, this weekend in Alabama stands out. In the upper right, you can see Huntington took care of North Carolina Wesleyan. A Methodist has a 5-1 and one record in the USA South, but they have lost head-to-head to the Red Hawks. So I think this upcoming weekend, Frank, we could see another potential clinch scenario for Huntington if that uh, continues to play out. Washington and Lee scrapes by uh, not necessarily a must win game for them because it was against division two, Emory and Henry, but you know, they're there's hanging in there. The generals are finding ways to win games and um, only two ODAC games next weekend. Randolph-Macon's on a bye um, and WNL has two more conference games to go. So it's going to be a, a tight one in the ODAC.
0: Anything can happen in that ODAC, as we've always said, region region four, we have a OAC uh, pair of games that uh, really almost yeah. shook things across the country. First, Ohio Northern at Mount Union. Mount led 13-7 to midway through the second quarter. Then DeAndre Parker gets his 18-yard touchdown run to make it 20-7 Mount Union with eight minutes left second quarter. The ONU would rally and score three straight times, culminating with this score with five minutes left in the third quarter. Austin Ike from Brody Hahn from 9 yards out to make it 28-20, ONU leading this game. But 50 seconds later, Derek Harvey Jr. with a 47-yard touchdown pass for Braxton Plunk ties the game after the two-point conversion was good. 28-28 with four minutes left, third quarter. In the fourth, two minutes into it, Tyrell Sanders gets a 6-yard touchdown pass for Braxton Plunk to give Mount Union back the lead, 35-28. Ohio Northern was resilient. Han with a 9-yard touchdown run dives in and gets there 35-35 with 8:40 left but 2:14 left Josh Petroselli, who's kind of the second uh, you know running back in the depth chart right now for Mount Union it helps him get a nice extended drive 13 plays 42-35 Mount Union leads then with 53 seconds left, Brody Hahn tries to throw it. It looks like away, but he throws an interception. Derek Bradley gets it in the end zone to end the game, essentially, for Mount Union. 42-35, they win. Josh Petricelli with one rushing and one receiving touchdown for Mount Union. Brody Hahn, though, on the ONU side, let's give him kudos, 26 for 45, 356 yards, three passing touchdowns, four interceptions, including that late one that you saw. Marietta at Baldwin-Wallace, look at a few plays here. First, Marietta with 6.38 left third quarter gets his 70-yard pass from Connor uh, Viestra to Price Agnew to tie the game 21-21. So Baldwin-Wallace hoping to get a pool C bid. Things are starting to look a little grim, but they would get a 36-yard Dean Saris field goal. 24-21, Baldwin-Wallace early in the fourth quarter. Let's fast forward to the end of the game. As Viestra tries on a 4th and 17 to get some ground here in the first down, but he is sacked for a loss of 7 yards. Caden uh, Viancourt with the uh, credit for that one, and that would do it as Baldwin-Wallace holds on. 24-21, Reese Weimer with the 208 total yards as quarterback for Baldwin-Wallace, a passing touchdown and an interception. Yestra for Marietta with a 20 for 27 day, 190 yards and two passing touchdowns in what we would call the near miss in this game. Trying at Albion, this one surprised you, I think, a little bit, uh, JB. But this is one I called uh, on Friday. Trying would find themselves down 15 points at halftime as Albion's Brendan Teal gets a 10 yard touchdown pass from Jack Bush to make it 28 13 with just 20 seconds left in the half. The teams would trade field goals, but Trying would try to stay alive. With a minute 39 left in the fourth quarter, Kyron Pearson gets a three-yard touchdown pass from Alex Price to make it 31-24 Albion. Here's the attempt at the onside kick, but it's recovered ultimately by Albion. They would take it on offense, and that would do it. Albion 31, trying 24. Kyle Thomas with a rushing and a receiving touchdown uh, for Albion. Alex Price... Trying seventeen for twenty-seven, three hundred thirty-nine yards, three passing touchdowns in the losing effort. Great stats, just couldn't quite get there. Wisconsin Oshkosh, Wisconsin Stout. What a back-and-forth game this was. We're gonna fast-forward all the way to the fourth quarter, where it was twenty-seven, twenty-one Oshkosh at that point. Three forty-four left. Stout gets a touchdown. Sean uh, Borgarding gets it to Will Newton for a 21-yard touchdown pass. But then with 301 left, Kobe Berghammer gets a 28 touchdown run, 28-yard touchdown run of his own, he said, and made it an Oshkosh lead 35-28. A minute 12 left, Stout answers again. Arthur Cox, four-yard touchdown pass from Borgerting. Makes it 36-35. Stout as they went for two and got it well they thought maybe they won the game not so fast my friend Tony Steger from Kobe Berghammer 68 yards it's good for 43-36 Oshkosh leading Borgerding in the final play sacked for a loss of 19 yards in an attempt to try to get the final say in this game he could not as it was the Oshkosh defense stamping down to protect the 43-36 win Berghammer 429 total yards, 4 passing and 1 rushing touchdown. My goodness. Bordering though for Stout, 24 for 35, 295 yards and 4 passing touchdowns of his own. Then finally, in terms of video at least, Lake Forest visited Monmouth in what was really an important Midwest Conference game. Second quarter, 625 left, Trey Stewart gets the first touchdown for Lake Forest and a 10-0 lead for them in the 2 yard touchdown run. Then, let's look in the third quarter at this Dante Esposito 30-yard pick six. With 4.23 left, third quarter is 24-3. Lake Forest, they'd hold on to win 24-10. Trey Stewart with 94 total yards, two rushing touchdowns. Dante Esposito with that pick six, as you saw. And Carter Boyer, 293 total yards, one passing touchdown, but two interceptions for Monmouth. Regions four through six, maybe not as many, exciting games in terms of the standings and what they all meant as one and two had but still some important yeah. stuff to look at
1: yeah and uh congrats to coach cat and company out there in lake forest it would be eight zero. take you know took on the um defending champs and and beat them by you know a couple of scores that's a that's a big deal um i'm noticing a little thing here frank maybe i should have paid more attention to the the home team because you know uh, Albion hangs on to win. Uh, Methodist hang on to win. Uh, in the lower right-hand corner, though, looking at the other scores, you can kind of see some usual names like North Central. They're probably going to – they're going to the playoffs. Whitewater, check. Shank John's, 81 to nothing. They're going to the playoffs. Wheaton, I still say, is going to take one of the five uh, pool C bids. You can count on it. Linfield is one game away from clinching the Northwest Conference with a 38-7 win over George Fox. Central – going to probably win the ARC. Lacrosse, they're headed for a collision course with Whitewater this weekend. The winner and loser of that game, Frank, I think are pretty much going to the playoffs as well. John Carroll winning um, is something to keep an eye on because Washington and Jefferson needs John Carroll to win out to have a chance if they don't win the pack tiebreaker. In the rest of Region 4 through 6, lots of stuff out there, but I'll highlight a couple. Uh, DePaul. Kind of on their way, along with Rose Holman and Aurora moving closer to Pool A bids in their respective conferences with wins. Um, the Gusties, another game that you got right that I didn't, so I might as well throw that in there, uh, just to keep kicking me on down. Whitworth puts a 68 on Puget Sound. The UPS gets a gets a L delivery there from from the Pirates, uh, and maybe this is in a way Whitworth's trying to you know. Raise some raise some flags out there on in Tacoma saying, "Hey guys, we'll probably finish nine one. We're we're pool C ready. Give us a shot." And then finally, pirate, that game pirate we flags. Mentioned
0: in our... Perhaps pirate flags.
1: Yeah, I see yeah, where you're going true. with that. The Jolly Rogers. There we go. Hamline uh, loses to McAllister in that uh, Mayak matchup we spoke about earlier um, in our in our last show. Uh, so credit to them. And then, yeah, I think all I got left, Frank, are some uh, some most valuable players.
0: Well, hold on. One thing. St. John's, you're giving them uh, into the playoffs already. Uh, they might have to go via Pool C if they lose the championship game of the MIAC. So they still have one big game left. We know that for sure uh, coming up in Week 11. But that is crunch That's time true. for Week 9 of the Fall 2021 Division 3 college football season.
1: Hey, friend, yeah, I can't I know. help it if I believe in Johnny Magic. You know, yeah, no, hundred
0: percent. Look, if they if they lose that game, they're still going. I, as I said, I, I'm not going to suggest they're not going to the playoffs, but I think it's a question of how they're going to get to the playoffs. And some folks might be a little concerned if they were to lose that game because that would steal a bubble uh, slot for somebody uh, down the line. So yeah. that, that's something. I was to watch actually for. trying
1: to envision a situation, and we maybe we can talk about this more tomorrow. But like. You know, we, we pretty much know who the top three number one seeds are what would have to happen for mountain union to not be the fourth number one seed in st john's to steal it from out, out from under them the, the resumes are kind of similar um if westminster makes it in as a pool from the pack that obviously helps uh mount union they ha- would have a um, win over regionally ranked opponent in baldwin wallace if if they went out you know, St. John's well, has that win on. over I'll Aurora tell you, I'll
0: tell you, I'll tell you flat out what the answer should be. Uh, what what round was the Wheaton St. John's game? That was the second round, and so in the or was that the third round, technically? And St. John's got eliminated in the semifinals
1: last year. Yeah, I thought they lost to uh, they lost to Whitewater yeah, in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. So technically, you have
0: a point here that St. John's has the better resume in the playoffs of the last go-around, if we still use that, than uh, Mount Union did a couple of years ago. And so when you have two undefeated teams and you can't break their tie any other way if you perceive a tie exists between them, then St. John's would get the nod based on the 2019 playoff performance. Uh, normally, it would be the prior year's playoff performance, but we didn't have one, so we think it's still going to be yeah. utilized. We just don't know what to to what degree it would. Interesting point. We'll see mm-hmm. a little bit more tomorrow, most likely. What we won't see tomorrow, we want to see today: the JBs MVPs of Week Nine.
1: Well, I guess I'll start off with the one in the middle because it's kind of funny because there aren't a bunch. You know, there isn't a headshot there, but there is just a big U and. Um, yeah, seeing it in person, I mean, there were obviously some great uh, kicking performances over the weekend, um, you know, guys who kicked long field goals and so on and so forth. Andrew Lau for Union was was no slouch. I mean, he uh, he knocked in two field goals and three PATs for nine points, which his team needed. He dropped almost 40 yards per punt, which his team needed from a field position perspective and was, you know, 57 yards on on kickoffs. Awesome day for Andrew, but yeah, it was really it was like the fake punt. It was the punt block that really sort of set the tone um, for Union in that game, and so I had to go with the, with the Dutchman kind of as a collective, um, you know, including Austin Saint Pierre, who had uh, I think he was the the guy on that on that punt fake, which was a really um, uh, great call by by Coach Behrman at that point in the game. Uh, so special teams as a, as a collective unit. So now jumping to the right um, on the defensive side of the ball, sophomore Colin Maropoulos from Endicott was my pick. He I think he also made the D3 football uh, team of the week. He had a I think an Endicott uh, record four and a half sacks slash tackle for loss um, in the nineteen to seventeen win over University of New England, a, a must win game for the Gulls who are fighting tooth and nail for their playoff lives. He added eight tackles in that one as well. Pretty awesome performance uh, for him in a, in a close one. And then you know, going back to the, the Pirates of Whitworth, uh, senior quarterback Jaden Pruitt had almost a perfect game, 16 to 21 for 371 passing yards, four touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown in that 68 to 14 romp over UPS. I mean, there were lots of great offensive performances, Frank, this weekend. It was hard to pick one you could have put E.K. Erebor here from Union, you could have put uh, the um, receiver from Wilkes here with the 226 receiving yards. But for me, I feel like, you know, this um, this weekend, I want to give a little shout out to Whitworth, who's out there on a the proverbial island and uh, you know, great performance there by uh, by Jaden. We had a long conversation
0: about the uh, ranking Whitworth on d 3 footballcom Slack channel that got uh, pushed over to the Patreon channel uh, that they have. So if you're a Patreon subscriber of D3Football.com, Keith, uh, Pat, Greg, and I are uh, in the discussion there about the Liberty League, how to place them. Whitworth, uh, I don't think Pat's ranking them still, and I, I find that tough to swallow under the circumstances. They beat Carnegie Mellon, don't forget, and Carnegie Mellon is still in the hunt in the pack and uh, have a big game with washington jefferson left so they may have a regionally ranked opponent that uh they've won against if carnegie mellon were able to beat w and j consider that fact later on let's go to the undefeated team slide here and uh region one with just one uh, that is playoff eligible delval uh williams is the only nescaq team left but let's look at delval there in region two there are two Cortland and union but Union has two big games in front of them, and Cortland Silas Cortica. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Region 3, one of these teams will go down this weekend. Birmingham Southern yep. or Trinity of Texas. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, turf toe for Kyle King kept him out, and we'll see if he's yep. back for this week. Region 4 to Paw, uh, while not undefeated on overall, in Division 3 they are. And Mount Union, although that was a close call, closer than we thought we'd see this past weekend. Yeah, Region 5, Central, Lake Forest, and North Central. Lake Forest still has a big game against Chicago, and Central has a couple challenges left. North Central, I can't see them not going undefeated. Uh, Region 6, as we expected, it seems to be the deepest uh, right now at least. Linfield, St. John's. Wisconsin lacrosse, at least in Division Three, Wisconsin whitewater. But the, obviously, we are going to see those two teams face off, and one of those will fall. So, interestingly enough, three, six, eight, 11, 15 left. We have guaranteed two to fall out of this. So, uh, we'll probably end up with about 10 undefeated teams this season, is my guess. We'll see where it goes. Tomorrow, regional rankings alphabetically by region. We'll see. where uh, who's who and what's what a little bit there. We'll also just here's what we'll learn. How many teams will be ranked from each region? Because that's not sure definite. You've seen those numbers uh, as like eight to ten, six to eight, uh, depending six on the size. Six to nine. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't know exactly uh, what each depth uh, will look like uh, in those regional rankings. And then uh, we'll also talk about the playoff races in that same show. So you'll want to stay tuned. Uh, We'll have uh, some coverage for you again on Friday for the preview show, as we said, and Saturday on the Blitzer. So we'll see you next time on In the Huddle.